Now, um, I, I wonder how many of you know how for thousands of years in Asia and in Africa, uh, monkeys are caught. I, I'll give you a little picture here that will show you. So this is a little monkey. He says, I'm not letting go. Uh, what they do is they take, for thousands of years this has happened, they take like a coconut, they punch a, little, a small hole in it, they put seeds or fruit or something like that. They anchor the coconut down. The monkey comes along. He puts his hand into the coconut. He, he grabs the, the fruit. And now that he's got the fruit in his hands, his hand is too big to get back out of the hole that he put it in. So he's captured now. It's a really low-tech, you know, e easy way uh, for someone to capture a monkey and his hand now is caught and the problem is he won't let go of what's in his hand even if it kills him and it usually does now you may think man that's so barbaric uh, I don't know if you know this or not but us Americans have found a, a, a way to do that here for the monkeys that we have we call them raccoons there's these little traps you see the little metal thing he's got his hand in like that see that because he's reaching in the cookie jar. See, that's what happens. You take a little marshmallow, you put it in that little metal cylinder, he slips his hand in there, which goes in easily, but once he grabs the marshmallow, it will not come back out. And therefore, he's captured. If he would just let go, the bondage would end. The suffering and the fear would go away. He would live, but he dies because he won't let go. I can remember years ago, I was in Argentina on a missions trip, and we were at the missionary's home, our whole group, and the missionary's wife said to us, I, I believe the Holy Spirit wants me to say something to this group. She said three things. One of them was this, and I'll never forget it as long as I live. It was a word from God for our group for that moment, and she said, the only things that can hurt you are the things that you will not let go of. You, you want to live free in 2019? It may have more to do with what you let go of than what you hold on to. It may have more to do with what you let go of than what you add to your life. Maybe you don't need to add anything else. Maybe there's some things you need to let go of. So this morning what we're going to be talking about, and for the month of January what we're going to be talking about are different things that we can let go of. Are there questions that you've never found the answer to that are hanging you up? If you could figure out a way to let go of that question, it would free your life. Are there relationships? Are there wounds? Are there sins? What are the things in your life like a weight tied to your leg you've been dragging around through 2018 and Jesus is saying, it's 2019 and I want you to live free and I want you to live out of bondage and out of fear and out of suffering and out of frustration. I want you to know the joy and the freedom. Why would Jesus waste his death on the cross? For us just to live a shrunk down Weighted down life. Mark chapter 10. This guy meets Jesus. And he wants to learn from him. And everything's going you know, really well at the beginning. Everything looks good. But this guy, if you look a little bit deeper, he has a few problems. As a matter of fact, he has three problems, if you're taking notes this morning, that I, I want to I give to you. Verse 17. 
As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Here's the guy's first problem. Number one, he has a low view of Jesus. You see this? Good teacher. He doesn't see him as Lord, as Savior, as everything, as God, as the only way to have a relationship with God. Jesus is a good option. And this is a really low view of Jesus. Think about it. Just about everybody believes Jesus is a good teacher. Other religions believe that Jesus is a good teacher. The world believes that Jesus is a good teacher. Demons believe that Jesus is a good teacher. This is a very low view. This is a very common view. Remember uh, in Matthew 16, when Jesus was walking with his disciples, he turned in a moment and looked at one of them and said, Hey, who do people say that I am? And what did they say? Well, some say you're this prophet. Some say you're this. Some say you're a good teacher. He said, but what about you? Who do you think I am? You remember that? And the apostle Peter looked at him and said, You are Christ the Son of the living God, and he said, Blessed are you among men, because this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. This is a revelation from the throne of God. The reality is, at the beginning of 2019, Jesus is here. He's in this room, and he's come to ask you one question. Who do you say he is? Who is he to you? Do you think he's a good teacher? Do you think he's a good option? Or is he everything? Because this guy thinks Jesus is a good teacher. Watch this. He's come for optional counsel. You know what optional counsel is. He's going to listen to what Jesus says and then decide if he's going to do it. I'm just checking, just keeping my option. Boy, that, that relates to us Americans so well. If all you ever see is Jesus as a good option, then you're left to respond to Jesus as you see fit. And that's exactly what this guy does. He listens and then he decides not to respond. Let me encourage you how to start out 2019 right. Decide you're going to respond to Jesus before he asks the question. Go ahead and make a decision at the beginning of the year. Lord, whatever you want, before I even know what it is, I give you a blank check. Fill it in, and I'll follow you. This uh, past week, we were eating out in a restaurant we'd never been to and trying to figure out what the, how to understand the menu and all this. And, and the waiter looked at me and said something. I, I don't remember a, a waiter ever seeing me. He said, hey, I just want you to know, here at our restaurant, our philosophy is this. The motto is, the answer is yes. What's the question? And I said, bring me my meal for free. Just saying. Wasn't yes to that. But I thought, what an incredible attitude for you and I to have toward God. God, the answer is yes. Now, what's the question? What do you want me to do? Lord, I'll do it. That's what faith says to Jesus. I've already decided that I'm good. I'm I'm not checking on optional counsel, I'm not weighing my options. Has anyone ever come to you for counsel and then, and then refused to take it? Every parent's hand in the room should be up. Yes. 
Yes, don't, whatever you do, do not do, then what do they do? Like a magnet, they're drawn directly to it. (laughs) Do you realize that's basically what pastoring is? (laughs) Hey, that's great, that sounds, boy, that was good. I'm not going to do any of it, but boy, that was good. That was great. (laughs) This happens to God all the time. We check in with him. We open the Bible. We crack the book. We read a line. We get a, we get a truth. And then we say, yeah, that's a good option. Maybe I'll come back to that. That's because we sometimes have a low view of Jesus. This guy's problem is he had a low view of Jesus. His second problem, look back at verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees, were him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do. What does he want to talk about? Now he wants to talk about his works, his duty, his obligation, his behavior. What does he have to do? He wants to talk about the rules. What rules do I have to follow? And and, and what is shocking is Jesus' response. You know what we're all expecting Jesus to say? If you've been a Christian for any time at all, maybe you don't even have to be a Christian to know this. For him to say, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We all know the answer. Most of us know the answer. Probably heard it at least. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And you'll be saved. It's so simple. But that's not what Jesus tells him. That's what's shocking. He responds with the law. What is this? He doesn't say believe on the Lord Jesus. He says, do not commit adultery. Do not commit murder. And he goes through the whole thing. Why? If you want to talk to Jesus about the rules, he will talk to you about the rules. If you want to talk to Jesus about the law, he will talk to you about the law. When you say, what must I do? He'll give you the list. And he'll go through it in such fine detail that when he's done, you will be very clear on this. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. He will walk through the whole thing until it's very clear that you and I absolutely cannot do it. We'll never do enough. So what's this guy's second problem? He has a low view of the law. What does that mean? He actually thinks he can keep the law. Our version is, I'm a good person. That's what our version of I can keep the law is. I'm a good person. See, this is what the Pharisees did. They broke everything down to a rule that everybody must keep to have a good relationship with God. And Jesus spent so much of his time throughout the New Testament, you can read, taking the law and putting it back in its right place. In Matthew 6, he says, You heard it has been said, but I say... You've heard it's been said, do not commit adultery. But I say, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. You see, he took the law and he put it back to where it should be. They brought the law down and said, it doesn't matter what's happening in my heart as long as I don't act on it. And Jesus is saying, you've misunderstood the entire intent of the law. Exactly what's going on in your heart is what matters. That's where the issue is. Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. But I say to you, if you have anger in your heart, you've already done it. Love your neighbors yourself. But I say to you, love your enemies and bless those who persecute you. It's about what's in the heart. He takes the law and he puts it back where it belongs. God wants us to have a high view of the law because when we have a high view of the law, it does nothing but drive you to a desperate need of Jesus. 
Because you realize how, how unable you are to actually keep up with all of it by yourself. When we bring the law down here, we think we can do it for ourselves. If we can do it for ourselves, what do we need Jesus for? And religion creates independence from God. Don't go to Jesus and talk about the law. Don't go to Jesus and talk to him about what you need to do. Go to Jesus and talk to him about what he's already done. He said it is finished. Once for all, paid, completed. You know, if you read the Gospels, you'll find that Jesus never gives the law to a sinner, to a tax collector, to a prostitute, or to an adulterer. Never does. Never gives the law to them. You know why? They already have a high view of the law. They know who they are, and they know they need something they don't have. What does he give them? Grace. Pours it out on them. He says to this woman, go and sin no more. Right? Daughter, your sins are forgiven. He pours grace out on her, and they receive it, and they walk away different. We like to talk about the law because it makes us feel like we're in control. He has a low view of Jesus. He has a low view of the law. And look back at verse 17, and now he says this. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? To inherit eternal life. What is this guy after? He wants a ticket to heaven. He wants to know how the system works so he can work the system. He wants a fast pass. So number three, he only wants a ticket to heaven. Nowhere in this conversation does this man ever say anything about relationship, discipleship, or lordship. All he talks about is a ticket to heaven. I just want to pass to heaven. Jesus isn't looking for people who will identify with him. He's looking for people who will follow him. Jesus isn't really interested in having a voting block of people in, America, in the American political system. He's not looking for a moral majority. Jesus is looking for followers who will passionately pursue and willingly obey him. That's what he's looking for. This guy sounds a lot like a cultural Christian, doesn't it? He has a low view of Jesus. He has a low view of the law. He only wants a ticket to heaven. And he's more concerned with his own comfort than he is eternity. He wants to have it all. Can I tell you the only person that has it all is God? And he's the only person that's ever going to have it all. And our attempt to have it all is our own attempt to be God. And we see how that turned out in the garden. Now the story continues. This guy thinks this is good news. In other words, Jesus says, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, you know, all this stuff. He's giving it. And the guy's thinking, I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do that. He thinks this is good news. He's waiting for Jesus to give him a high five. Up top, Jesus. What's up, Jay? Let's go. He thinks Jesus is going to put him up on a pedestal and call him right around and say, everyone, look, this is what I, I ask for humanity. That's what he thinks. How shocked he is. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. Wait, wait, I thought, I thought I'd done all I followed the rules S go sell everything you have and give to the poor now th this made this guy sad because he was really rich if you read the whole story and you'll have treasure in heaven then come follow me shockwaves shockwaves he just dropped a nuclear theological bomb on this guy's heart the man was shocked but let me tell you who was probably more shocked than he was the disciples 
And you know why? Because that's something that Jesus never asked from them. They're like, wait a minute. He never asked us to sell everything we own and give it all the way to the poor that we might have treasure in heaven. So why did Jesus ask this man and only this man to sell everything he had? Because Jesus went right after the man's idol. He went right past his religion and he went straight to his idol. The last thing this man wanted to talk about is the first thing Jesus wanted to talk about. So let's talk about that for a few minutes. Let's talk about idols. What is an idol? I, I think it's so hard for us to define in our culture because we have embraced a definition that comes from other cultures and they don't translate here so so here's what an idol is an idol is anything in your life that has more influence and significance than God uh, so when we think of idols like, like here's here's a picture something like this isn't it interesting that we chose the word idol to find our next rock star like what are we saying this person will have more influence and, and, and more significance than any person in America. They're American Idol. Now that's probably one of the few places you can find it. But that's not the picture. Most of us don't even identify with that word. It's something like this. This is what we think of when we think of Idol. Some little goofy golden statue that sits, you know, on a restaurant counter somewhere or in some other part of the world. Or maybe something like this. Uh, these little idols, and we say, look, I'm, hey, I'm so glad I came today, but I, I, I went through the scanner. I'm clear. Like, I got no idols. None of these. <laughs> I don't have any of this stuff in my house, nothing on my fireplace mantle. I'm, I'm clear. None of those are what I'm talking about. This is how we view idols as little statues that we bow down to and light candles and, and, and meditate or something. That would never fly in America but our idols are disguised, watch this, as good things. They look like really good things. They look like money or a job or a house or a spouse or kids or kids' activities and sports and hobbies and religion and image and the way we look and success and hobbies. They're intangibles uh, most often. Things we do or places we go or activities, our idols look really good to the world. In fact, we're celebrated in our culture for the idols that we hold. We're applauded. Oh, man, look at them. You're good parents. You're a good husband. You're a good wife. You're, boy, you're, you're a good worker. You're good on the job. Our, our idols are, are good things that we unintentionally begin to worship, and it's usually a good thing that we've elevated to the wrong place. Let me, let me give you an example to drive it home a little more. Here, here's a picture of a guy. There's a story here. The Georgia fan, I know, fortunately, we'll all be unified on this. Whether you go all Alabama or Auburn, we all equally hate Georgia fans, so it's okay. So I don't want to get too personal. So there's a, there's a guy in Georgia for decades. He's lost his hair, so he decided to do something cool. He would paint his entire head Georgia-ish, and he would garb out, he's a super fan, and he would come to the game, and he's been to every home game in Georgia's history for so long, 
that now he's recognized as kind of the guy. You know, everybody's, oh, there he is. They're waving at him. He's the guy. He's the super fan. Well, uh, game day did a special on this guy. He passed away either last year or year before. And now his son, who is as bald-headed as he is, has taken over this tradition of painting your head, you know, Georgia-like, and, and going to the game and, you know, dressing out and all this stuff. Now, not only is this this guy's identity, it's now his generational legacy. What has the greatest significance and influence in your life? Now, now look, don't get me wrong. We play dress-up, too. Last month, we did it for six nights. We dressed up like British people. We spoke British. But one cast member was telling me one night on our way out to do the play, she said, I'm so nervous. And I thought, I wonder if it's like the third night. You know, I think the, the stage jitters would be worked out by now. I said, well, why, why, why are you so nervous? Are you okay? She said, I got two cousins that you would never believe that they would ever walk into a church building the rest of their life. And she said, they're here tonight. And I'm so excited, but I'm so nervous. Because I want it to go well. We might play dress up, but we play dress up for eternity. We don't play dress up for a game that's fading away. If I were to sit down with you one-on-one and say, do you have any idols in your life? Most of you, if not every one of you, would say, no, I don't have any of these little creepy little statues in my house anywhere. Idols are difficult to deal with because they're good things, because we don't start out idolizing them, because we don't intentionally idolize them, and we're usually unaware that they have become an idol. An idol is something that has more influence and significance than God. So how do you know you've allowed something to have more influence and significance than God in your life? Here's what I've learned. The most difficult idols in the whole world to see are yours. The easiest ones to see are somebody else's. It's easy to talk about the little statues that people worship in other parts of the world. It might even be easy to talk about the guy at work or the lady that you know, jogs around the neighborhood. It might even be easy to talk about your, spices, your spouse's idol. But let me tell you whose idol is the hardest to see. Yours. So how, how do you see it? Well, well, let me give you a few ways. You might want to write these down. Let's talk about it. Passion. What are you passionate about? What creates an almost involuntary response out of the inside of it? What do you find yourself going to places and being able to cheer and laugh and shout and engage and then you come to church and you sit and you just observe? That might tell you something about your relationship with God. What about conversation? The Bible says from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what is in your heart is what comes out your mouth. What are your conversations about? Whatever is coming out of, your, out, of, out of your mouth is an overflow of your heart. What are you talking about? What do you talk about the most? Could you have a 30-minute conversation with someone about your relationship with God? 
Could you have a one-hour conversation with someone about your relationship with God or about God, the person of God, the majesty of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit? Could you have a one-hour conversation with them? Could you have a one-hour conversation about anything else? That's telling you something about your relationship with God. How about sacrifice? Do you sacrifice your time and your money for God? Do you find yourself sacrificing your time and money toward God or toward other things? The Bible tells us where our treasure is, our heart is also. Where you spend your time and your money will tell you what you worship. It will tell you what your heart is full of. What do you sacrifice for God? Here's another way to tell. Joy level. What brings you the most joy? Is it God or is it something or someone else? This situation or this hobby or that thing. Does your relationship with God bring you more joy than anything else? Do you look forward with anticipation, with excitement to your relationship with God? Here's another one, comfort. Where do you turn for comfort when you're discouraged or scared? Because wherever you turn, it's what you idolize. Do you turn to God? Or do you turn to a habit or an addiction? How does that work out for you? Here's, here's a, a, the last one. What about, what's at the center? What is at the center of your life and everything else orbits around it? Can, can I tell you the, the, the greatest times of joy... And my life is when I had the feeling, the sense, that I had surrendered to God in such a way that he was actually the center. And everything else, my dreams and my hopes and my fears and whatever it was, was in orbit around him. He was the middle. And as long as he was in the center, every, everything, else, everything else was second or third or tenth. Or 20th. What do those things tell you about your relationship with God? I, I love in verse 21 uh, what Jesus said to this man. Don't miss this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Wait, wait a minute. Think, boy, Jesus has been kind of tough on this guy. He looked at him, he loved him. How do, you, how, do you, how do you look at someone and love them? Jesus had his interest. Jesus, the value was on him. The, the importance was on Jesus looked at him and loved him. But look what he said. One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Isn't is that Interesting. Right behind the statement Jesus loved him is, is the choice, is the confrontation, is the challenge. You say, why, why would Jesus talk about the last thing I want to talk about? Why is that the first thing? Why does Jesus poke around in my life and touch the sore, the scar, the wound, the pain. Why does Jesus reach behind all this stuff I want to talk about and grab the most sensitive part of my life? Why does he, is he mean? Is he mad? Is he, what is he doing? It's love. 
Because he knows that that's the part of your life that is the key to your freedom. And he will reach back there and touch it gently because he loves you and he will invite you. But watch what, watch what happens. Jesus loves you so much, he will risk you walking away in order to set you free. He laid it on the line. He loves you so much, he will challenge the idols in your heart and risk you walking away in order to set you free, which is exactly what happened to this man. This man walked away. The Bible says he walked away sad. He wasn't at the end of himself. He wasn't willing to give up his identity. He wasn't willing to let go. He's dying like the monkey with his hand in the coconut. He's dying. He's dying in bondage because he won't let go. He's open, but he's not broken. He's interested, but he's not desperate. He's curious, but he's not hungry. Verse 21 says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now let's flip it from the other guy's perspective. This man did not believe that Jesus loved him deeply, so he could not hold his money loosely. That's just money in this story. It could be anything. I guarantee you, whatever in your life you won't let go of, comes from a theology that says Jesus does not love me deeply and I cannot trust him with this and so we hold it and we hold it and we hold it and until you believe Jesus loves you deeply you will never be able to let go because you will live with this hoarding this fear this doubt this worry this poverty mentality this revenge this anger this gimmick I have to hold on to everything because this is my identity this is who I am Jesus knew the Father, loved him deeply, therefore he was able to let go of heaven and come to earth. <laughs> the Bible says he knew where he came from and he knew where he was returning to. He knew that the Father had put all things under his authority. He was convinced that he had a Father that loved him, therefore Jesus could walk the earth with open hands and let go. I said all this to say this. What's holding you back? Is it, is it money? Is it job? Is it relationship? Is it some kind of thought pattern? Is it religion? Is it your image? Is it success? Is it significance? Is it comfort? Is it a goal? Is it a dream? What are you afraid to let go of? What is the one area that you want to talk to Jesus about last, but he wants to talk about it first? What's the one thing that Jesus has already asked you to let go of and you haven't? Uh, let me give you a little, a little homework for next week, okay? Go to two or three people that you, that you, they don't even have to be Christians. They don't even all have to be Christians. It'd be fascinating what you'd hear. Go to two or three people that you trust and say, what do you think is holding me back from following Jesus? It'd be fascinating to hear what they'd say. What do you think is holding me back from following Jesus? And as those responses come there'll be a little tickle in your heart and Jesus will be saying that's what I was telling you Sunday that's what I've been talking to you about 
Now come on, let's let go. Now come on, let's let go. Let's trust. Let's go on into deep faith. Let's go on into deep freedom. <laughs> when you understand how much Jesus loves you, letting go is easy. Because what do you have to lose? <laughs> There's only gain. I've never met one person who's ever let go of anything to follow Jesus who regretted it. Have you? I have met thousands of people who say, I wish I would have let go earlier. Earlier. So if not now, when? If not 2019, then when? Is it spring? Is it Easter? Is it summer? Is it fall? Is it 2020? Is it when the kids graduate? When? When will it be? When will the time be? What's that one thing that's become an idol in your life? And it's not a bad thing, but because it's a good thing that's doing a bad thing to you. He wants to set you free. Look, the same way that a good father would do everything in their power to set their child free from prison. That's, that's how God feels about us when he sees us holding on to something that has caged us and chained us and limited us and hindered us. And he, he, he pleads with us. Come on, come on and let go. Because he wants you to be free. Will you determine this year that you will allow Jesus to free you? That you will put Jesus first and walk in freedom and let go of everything he wants you to let go of. But I, in my heart of hearts, this, I believe this is the word of the Lord to us in this season. To get to where Jesus wants us to go, we've got to become different people. And the way we become different people, I don't think is to add all that much. I think it's to let go of the things that hold us back. And it will create a vacuum in our soul that the river of God will come and just flood over and fill. He can't get more in us because there's not room. We just got to make room. And as we let go, maybe let go. How, how, do you, how do you let go? Swiftly and comprehensively. You don't phase your way over 20 years like a good mortgage into letting go. That's not how it works. 5% a year. Get this thing paid down. That's not how freedom works. What did he say to the man? He didn't say, go and sell off your car and next year come back and we'll, we'll do this thing in stages. He said, you want a ticket to heaven? You want eternity? You want a relationship with God? Sell everything you got. Go all in. Go all in. Give it away to the poor. Come follow me. <laughs> All in. So how, 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 do, how, do you, how do you let go? You let go. You let go. You let go. You say, God, take it. Help me. Give me the grace I need to release this thing so that I might be free. Because God, man, I, as I'm praying about uh, 
Freedom Night at the end of this month. I'm saying, God, at this is this season of fasting and prayer at the end of it may we be walking in more freedom than we've ever known as we start this journey may, may couples be free of fighting and families be free of addiction and families be free of debt and sin and bondage and hatred and it's time it's time it's time for the people of God to be free to live free that's what Jesus died for. So would you stand with me this morning? And, and would you just close your eyes for a moment and bow your heads? I want to I pray with you. every eye closed and your heart open what's the Holy Spirit saying to you what, what is the whisp, what, is, what is he whispering to your heart his voice is full of love and patience and kindness and there's no condemnation or shame in the Holy Spirit he's come this morning to free you I want to ask our prayer team if you'd come you know, some of you may say, hey, I, I just kind of came to see what Jesus is saying in 2019. May, maybe you don't even have a relationship with God. Maybe you don't even come here often. Maybe you've never been here. You may not even be entirely sure where you stand. You may be thinking, maybe you're thinking exactly what this guy said. I'm going to listen and then I'll decide, you know, later if I'm going to follow. Can, can, I, can I say this to you if you're not a, if you're not a Christian or don't, don't know where you stand with God hey keep listening man I'm glad you're here and I invite you I hope you'll come through the whole series and you'll just keep listening and keep comparing what you're hearing to what you're hearing out there in our culture and, and, and just keep comparing it and just keep listening keep listening keep listening and just give God a chance to talk to you deeply and, 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 I, and I believe you will. This morning, I, I asked the worship team to, to sing this song. And, and, I, and I want us to sing it. Uh, just sing the verse in the course. And then I want, us to, I want us to have a prayer time. But I want everybody in the room, if you would just begin to pray and ask, Holy Spirit, show me. Now, this isn't about everybody else. This is about me. God, show me what my idol is. Show me what has more significance or influence in my life. Where, what, what brings me joy? What am I excited about? What am I passionate about? What have I replaced? God, as we're, as we're worshiping and praying now, uncover and show me. As the worship team begins to sing, I want you just to lift your voice up. Begin to put your eyes on Jesus. No other refuge. No other refuge. 